Hello everyone, welcome to Sec Tools podcast by Infosec Campus. I'm your host of the show. This is a uh, 36th episode and the last episode of 2021. We have a special guest uh, Ruslan with us, author of uh, One Code DB, uh, an open source project. Um Ruslan, welcome to the show. Yeah, hi everyone. Thanks for having me. Great. Um Ruslan, to get started very quickly about your own background. How did you get into infosec or tech in general what was your story of of infosec mm-hmm. yeah so my my story is that i mean like i guess like many folks are uh, was was already interested in computers for quite a long time and basically i got into computer science i studied computer science in germany in the rwth aachen university and next to that like um I was always interested in security so I was reading forums and reading blog articles and then got connected to a few folks who became friends of mine from the Bochum Ruhr University um they have like a very good IT security program there um and from there basically through the community like participating in war games CTFs uh reading about vulnerabilities doing a bit own research and basically going deeper and deeper into the topic from there i see it's very academically progressed uh, to technologies and and infosec and then from there you take it as a like a proper career career choice yeah exactly although i have to say like the computer science the studies themselves didn't teach me that much about information security like i had some courses there but most of the things that are relevant for my my job and so on like um i learned through my spare time so I own see. interest okay yeah. So uh, yeah let's talk about the one code project itself right um i mm-hmm. got to know about the projects it was just uh, came up on my twitter timeline um someone posted mm-hmm. this uh, this project is on github and what uh, excited me or rather like what actually like catch my attention was unfortunately the project is going on a shutdown mode it it it, mm-hmm. it is already right it is uh, last uh, yeah it is still online but it's like taking its last last breaths i yeah, think at this yeah. so i thought i'll i'll uh, get in touch with you and know um mm-hmm. your story from the beginning like wh- why did you start the project in the first place and what was your mm-hmm. your thought process in building the the project and making it as open source you started it in 2019 yeah. with uh, timo exactly with a colleague from google um, timo Um so my my motivation initially was I participated during my like I don't know like let's let's say 10 years in some war games and CTFs and I always found like it quite cool to have like challenges and to solve like security puzzles so to say but one of the problems that I always solve with this is that like many challenges and uh, setups are very constructed like they're not really matching what you see in real life often and this was like one of my thoughts And another thought that I have had was um like I'm also fascinated in machine learning this is like uh, one area that I'm like kind of an enthusiast about um so I was just wondering where are things developing in that direction long term and also like for example how can we automatically find vulnerabilities in code long term like how can we go away from manual assessments and walk towards that direction and it's an incredibly hard problem and i was just playing around with these thoughts and at some point i got the idea or like i just thought why is there not like one central platform where you can track all vulnerabilities 
and where you basically can educate people about, hey, look, this is a memory corruption vulnerability, and this is like a real world vulnerability. This is not just a constructed example, but this has been a bug, for example, in VLC or like in some um, web server, right? So that you can um, have a way to interact more than to just read a blog writer, but you can interact. You can see what is the vulnerable code behind it. Like this is another thing that kind of always was a bit annoying to me. Like I, I hear about a new vulnerability and then I'm like, yeah, cool, but where, where's the source code? And like I, I read some articles on description and I'm like, yeah, cool, but, but I want to see the code, right? And um, so yeah, this was like one, one, one other motivation that I just wanted to have like one space where you can immediately see the source code to your vulnerability so that you can study and understand it a bit better than to just read a more abstract um, blog article. I see. I mean, it sounds simple, but it's a lot of work uh, for sure. Um, because these are kind of um, scattered in uh, different web pages or different blog posts and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. There is no central location you can pull these informations and put it on a website or, a, you know, give an API access or something like that. It's not as simple as it mm -hmm. sounds. Um, what was mm -hmm. your challenges and what obstacles that you have actually faced while um, solving that problem? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are definitely like many, many problems. Like in the first, like one of the biggest problems is like this bootstrapping problem. Like to have a platform that is interesting to people, you need to have a lot of data and you also need to have unique features. So like, why would they go to your platform if they can just go to the national vulnerability database or cvedetails.com, right? So like first step is you need to acquire some basic amount of data or have some basic amount of data. Fortunately, like you can just pull the data from CVE details or like for NVD, they, they publish their data, like on a daily basis, actually they have feeds that you can pull. So then you have like a starting base, right? You have some vulnerability data, which means like when was the vulnerability published in which software, what is the short description about it? Maybe some references. So this is a good starting point, but like for, for the platform or for VulnCodeDB, one of the features that was supposed to make it like kind of unique was to show you vulnerable code. Mm -hmm. So not to, to just show you some description, but to actually show you where in the project are the files and the sections in the source code that are relevant um, for this vulnerability or like that cause this vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And to move in that direction, um, I mean, there are like some, some approaches that we tried with OneCode to be is for example, like one thing that you want to do if you have a vulnerability, you want to understand which patch, which security patch has fixed this vulnerability because the security patch has likely changed files that were um, causing this vulnerability to start with, right? So from there, you can roughly already see that the, like you get some pointers where you can go to, for example, GitHub, you see, okay, there, this has been the patch. This has been the files that have been changed. Yeah. And from the changes, you can hopefully <laughs> like um, understand which lines of code were really the ones that were um, like important for the vulnerability or relevant for the vulnerability. Yeah, I mean, like uh, just just how the, the project is set up at the moment is that on a daily basis, it just pulls in all this NVD, NVE, sorry, a national vulnerability database mm -hmm. data. So like, all the details that you can see there, you can also see, at least to the biggest extent, also on the platform. Right. Um, so you already have this going. 
but then what you want to do is like what and what is a bit tricky is that you want to link these vulnerabilities to patches mm -hmm. and this is not that obvious like sometimes if you're lucky then already in this uh, nbd feeds or data streams um, there are references to patches so someone already said hey this patch was relevant for this vulnerability and then from there you can connect the dots and basically like let's let's keep it simple like include like a github view um, and show hey these have been the files that like were relevant right mm -hmm, I see. and you can use this as a starting point and and for this you can just use some basic regex you don't need like very fancy machine learning or like mm -hmm. crazy automation um, there are some simple tricks can already uh, yield um, a relatively good effect yeah and this is now um, i mean initially when you hosted the the website with um, with mm -hmm. an api access so people if anyone any researchers wants to automate off of their own they can actually do it because you provided api access to it right um, mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah. the the portal uh, you um, open source the deep the db alone or you open source the the entire application with with the web portals or um, API access. Yeah, I've, like one of the most important points for me was to keep it like fully open source mm -hmm. or like open source to the biggest extent. So really make sure that it's like a repository on GitHub that everyone can see that it's dockerized, that people can set it up easily right? to make it as easy as possible for contributors to make modifications and to suggest changes. Mm -hmm. um, but also uh, to contribute to the data that you can see on the platform. So the idea there was like, if you just think about Wikipedia, mm -hmm. you see an article, you can go, you can edit it. If you see something is wrong, you can at least make a suggestion yeah. that then gets reviewed and eventually gets um, like ingested into the system. Uh, and the idea was to have something similar for VarnCodeDB. Mm -hmm. um, but if we talk about like, it's basically a revision system. Yeah. And the revision system is an incredible amount of engineering work <laughs> as, turned yeah. out, as it turned out. Yeah, true. I mean, uh, tracking the, the, the history of versioning and um, what changes who and yeah, it's a lot of work actually going in the background, uh, even though the, the, the UI looks very simple and, and, and easy to exactly. use, but it's, it's definitely a lot exactly. of work there. Yeah. Do you have a statistics of like maybe how many people are using it or how many um, calls that you basically get from the APIs? Oh, you, uh -huh, you yeah, yeah. like we were we were monitoring that to some extent to okay. just see how much activity there is but it was like roughly i think 1500 um, okay. users per month yeah so um, it's like it's not not that much basically. i see the the use case that you mentioned uh, because my initial thought was also like okay there is mm -hmm. there is packet storm there is uh, exploit db there is cv details mm -hmm. there is nvd there are so many mm -hmm. of um, uh, vulnerability databases out there um, mm -hmm. And there is there is clearly something extra that you're contributing in VulcoDB, um, and that mm -hmm. is exciting because that's a real problem for any um, uh, internal security researchers or or um, mm -hmm. I mean just a regular security security researchers to go and and do a POC right. Um, mm -hmm. The code mm -hmm. is something that we always miss out because not every exploit databases actually provide this information as easy as as it sounds. I'm, I can clearly understand there is definitely like a good uh, interest in it um, for for a lot of security researchers. Uh, unfortunately, it's sad to see the the uh, UI is is uh, shut down already. Um, you you mm -hmm. shut it down. I mean, it's it's actually as you said, it's it's taking the last breath. But the DB is open, yes. uh, meaning people can contribute mm -hmm. 
you will still be monitoring and moderating the the uh, github uh, repository or that's also going to be like a closed model yeah yeah no no the, the, this will like the repository will still exist and i actually had like recently some to- to- a talk with uh, some folks from vulnerable code uh-huh. that's like um similar effort or somewhat similar effort right um but they basically also have ambitions to track vulnerability data and they were like interested or like considering to to see if they can like kind of adopt uh, the project to some extent uh-huh um so that would be also cool to see but i don't know if this will happen um, but yeah like i mean the code is available and will stay available on github in one form or the other um it'll be good to see how the uh, community is taking up the project and probably like adding more more value to it or or giving yeah. more more data to it the main problem with open source projects and this is definitely the hot topic to discuss at this point of time mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. after the last week uh, mess around in the internet on log for j as the issue uh, the support for for open source projects right um the the mm-hmm. staffing or or the resources that you require to uh, build an applications and track uh, exactly. issues what is your recommendations on like how do we track it uh, or what what's your experience actually taught yeah i mean like i can absolutely confirm that this is a very big problem like this project has started out as a 20 this is a 20% project right so like one day a week i would look into this and engineer like and, and work a bit on the engineering parts and so on realistically i also worked on weekends <laughs> yeah um but but basically like this this requires requires a immense amount of work and engineering effort and so it's completely understaffed very quickly right and so from that perspective the question is like where do you get the funding from you really like where do you get the resources from right, right. you really need to have a very convincing project or idea Uh, but with a project like this you have a bootstra- uh, bootstrapping problem i think it was the same for linkedin when linkedin proposed their business idea people were extremely skeptical and saying like yeah okay it sounds somewhat interesting but you don't have the data mm-hmm. yeah, so like we won't invest in your platform yeah. and it took them a long time to accumulate enough users and to have like such a big user base that the business case was convincing yeah and for an open source project where you don't generate any re- revenue like this one here Uh, it's even harder yeah. right so i think there are some foundations that support like open source work right um but in this case we have not reached out to like um to them right in or this case this the, was already back but, yeah oh, or, or or the or the sponsorship model like some projects actually do sponsorship models also exactly i yeah like i was already happy that this was somewhat supported by google for example resources uh, for the gcp platform to host this project uh, okay. and um, that i can work on it in 20% uh, this is already some good, some yeah. form of investment that i was very grateful about and often um uh, this is more depending on the companies itself right and some for example like go um, is rather like resourced and funded by um, like a commercial company right or mm-hmm. um GraphQL for instance or um mm-hmm. uh, TensorFlow uh, these are open source projects mm-hmm. also but these are like heavily funded not i don't know if it's heavily funded is the right word to say but mm-hmm. they're at least like supported and backed up by by commercial companies uh, but mm-hmm. uh, they actually see some form of uh revenues or at least they have a dependencies on these these platforms for their their mm-hmm. uh, their products or their engineering uh, workflow right um mm-hmm. but uh, exactly. for an individual ideas um it's always hard to find funding um from mm-hmm. from companies or from yeah it's 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 difficult because yeah. i was looking at um 
curl for instance um daniel developed these tools mm-hmm. uh, probably like 25 years back i don't know mm-hmm. how many applications and and uh, user base uh, curl has it's probably must be millions mm-hmm. and billions of users or or applications yeah. uses it um um mm-hmm. recently i looked into uh, the dashboard he created was a massive amount of numbers yeah um i don't think anybody wants to pay it right because it works ultimately it works and uh, someone yes, yes. Uh, at least uh, i i know i think he is working for like um wolf ssl i guess um and they do some supporting um uh, for for those projects and yeah it's a mm-hmm. because it's a great project yeah yeah i think the big difference to a project that, uh, like curl is adaptation right yeah. something like curl is so like the usage is so widespread like almost everyone that uses linux uses it right right and for something like valcode to be um like you have some assumptions a hypothesis that hey this platform will be useful to people right and initially of course you ask for feedback and people are like enthusiastic and exactly as you said they say like hey as a security researcher i find it cool i want yeah. to have that right but <laughs> and here's the and here's the big problem is like first you need to prove that you need to build a proof of concept that is very convincing right yeah. and as i said before you need to overcome in this case some form of bootstrapping problem and i think it doesn't matter even if you work on an open source project like if you can start to convince people that it is a very useful thing and people will start using it from there you will automatically be on a really good track right mm-hmm. so like something like curl i think uh, adaptation just proves that it's a very useful thing right yeah. the widespread usage but for something like valcode to be um like You've, you're testing a hypothesis, right? This is basically like a startup. Yeah. You come up with your cool, fancy idea and you get some support in the, in the beginning, but you need to do the work and you need to kind of prove that um, like it's useful to people. Right. right? And, and in this case, like people were very positive in the beginning, but usage was not that high. Also, like this is again, like a problem, right? Because first you need to have like a good product for people to use it. Yeah. Um, but still you already see on the way like if there's some enthusiasts right maybe some people are like uh, what do you call it early adapters and they say like hey this is really cool like this is so so cool that i will now start contributing to it mm-hmm. and i think if you have this then you're on a really good track and then from there i could guess that the funding problem somewhat might resolve itself along in the long run right yeah i i mean um, apart from the funding uh, itself i think the the user support or someone who is mm-hmm. responding to issues um and then building mm-hmm. that kind of a communities uh, in 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 the github itself or rather any any um code uh, source engine itself um will actually mm-hmm. create like some level of drive to the whole project i think that will be nice to see and i'm hoping that um one call db will have that kind of user base uh coming up for sure Uh yeah let's yeah <laughs> at the moment as i said the project is taking its last last breaths right uh-huh. i mean like for me it was also like for for my colleague i mean I, i'm pretty sure for him as well it was a pretty really really good learning experience yeah. and like i would every listener of this podcast also encourage like hey if you have some idea just go try it out like the experience that you will gain from it is really really worth it right because you're also learning to to see like um in the beginning you're very enthusiastic and you have like many ideas where you think hey this might be cool but um then you like i think from doing this you you kind of start to align more and more with reality 
you understand like which things are working out and which things are not working out, right? And even if your first open source project doesn't work out, I think it's, it's, it's a good motivation to just try it again, right? With the experience that you collected from it. Right. So in that sense, it's very similar to startups, I think. Yeah, 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 you're right. Maybe in your experience, you can actually explain this. For many of the, the security researchers are definitely like a full-time um, uh, full employees in some companies. Um, mm -hmm. Some of them are doing the probably like exploit uh, research or bug bounties uh, for full time also, uh, um, mm -hmm. and that's like one some bunch of crowd. But um, a, a majority of the crowd is uh, like a full time nine to five job uh, in in the company. Um, mm -hmm. What is your recommendations or what are your suggestions from your experience? How someone can approach uh, their managers or uh, their companies to to say that hey, I'm working on these projects and. Mm -hmm not just funding, but at least like you mentioned, 20% of your time is actually spent on this one, which is a great uh, yeah. support from the company. Like, you know, they are actually mm -hmm. offering you that you can work on these projects um, on 20% mm -hmm. on of your work hours. Mm -hmm. um, it also gives you like some drive to like work on those projects. Mm -hmm. um, what is your opinions on it? Yeah, I think this heavily depends how you spin it up, right? I think to start with, this already is very heavily a culture thing, a company culture thing, right? For example, this is something that is inherent within Google, this 20% mm. culture, the culture to explore things, to let the employees try out things mm. um, and explore their creativity and ideas in, in like even during work time, right? And in, in such, and so like what I'm saying is basically, it's not a short-term thing yeah. that you can solve that quickly. I think it needs to be like part of the company identity, part of the culture. But if you are in a company where you don't have this culture, like there are still very good uh, convincing arguments to to try out some small open source projects, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you do this open source project, you can then write an article about it with the company name, mm -hmm. right? If they support it, you can like spin it up as like a company effort in some way or the other, right? Yeah. So from that perspective, it's a, a very good publicity thing, right? Might be might this might improve the image of the company. Um, and also, I mean, ideally, if you can pull it off, that is like a good thing. Like if you can align the open source project, which problem it is solving with some problem that your company is solving, right? Yeah. Think something like TensorFlow. I think there the argument is like relatively straightforward. Google is using a lot of machine learning. So like there it's already like very, very obvious, yeah. right? But maybe in your company, like you have some other problem space um, and you can write some automation, some script. It can be something very small and simple. But if it contributes to solving some business problem, even in a small way, I think this is a very good starting point to start a conversation in this direction. Yep, that's a very uh, wise advice for sure. Before we, we wind up, um, for the listeners, um, um, do you have any, any suggestions or any, any advice to, to give? Uh, advice in which direction, like uh, for open source as, projects as, or in general? Yeah, as open source project maintainers or or as an infosec uh, enthusiast. No, I think like it would go back to what I said before. Is just try to stay up to date what is happening in the security world, like like the log4j developments, right? Like vulnerable dependencies or like man in the middle attacks or uh, supply chain attacks. Um, so try to understand what are problems that are occurring on a daily basis. And from there, maybe someone or some of the listeners can come up with even a small project that contributes to um, 
like alleviating some of the problems or improving some of the problems in that space. And the other recommendation is what I said before is just go out, just be brave enough to try out even a small thing. And like, I can really promise that it's an incredibly good um, experience that you can learn a lot from this. It is a lot of struggle. You need a lot of patience, but it definitely pays out. Great. Thanks, Ruslan. Um, it was very, very great talking to you uh, and know about the whole uh, story of OneCode uh, project and their roadmap. Um, and wish you all the best for the future for OneCode and for your career as well. And and thanks for the project. Thanks for sharing this code uh, on, on the open source community uh, to you and for Timo also. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thanks everyone for listening to the podcast. Happy holidays. We'll talk to you in the next year, 2022.